Good morning, and thank you, Blake, Lori, Donna, Rosemary, always for the beautiful music that leads our hearts into worship. Let us pray now together. Oh, holy God, this morning we pray that you will speak to us, through us, in spite of us, that we may hear the message that you have for our hearts this day. We pray this in the strong and in the lovely name of Jesus, our risen Lord, thanking you. Amen. Last Sunday on our first worship service for January 2021, Ben called us to a daily life of prayer. And as I was preparing this message this week, I was inspired of God to call us to a daily, he called us to a daily life of Bible reading, and God inspired me to call us to a daily life of prayer. About six years ago, I preached a sermon about how prayer changes people, and I shared a true story about how God helped Carrie and me in the midst of a dangerous situation in response to prayer. It was about 2.30 in the morning, late February of 2011. Carrie had recently had surgery, was sound asleep on meds. And about that time, I heard voices, noises, someone speaking, apparently, in our living room. I get up, I try to wake Carrie up to no avail. I throw on my bathrobe. I hurriedly and fervently pray, Jesus, help me. I go out in the hall, and three times, for some reason, I say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, and authoritatively said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I command you to leave this house. All got quiet. I waited about three minutes. I went into the living room, and there was no one there, no voices, no person. There also wasn't a front door. The front door and the frame were missing. I looked out down a long corner lot, and there were all the pieces of our door. About that time, I heard these brakes squealing. This long white car drives up, parks in front of our house, and this very tall African-American man comes up and says, Ma'am, go in the house. I am an undercover JPD policeman. We are chasing a, a convict, we think, or at least a person who's mentally ill, high on drugs, we think he may be dangerous. He thinks someone is trying to kill him. We don't think that's the case, but you need to go back in the house. About that time, five marked police cars with five officers in uniform come up, and about oh, a while later, they apprehended the suspect in our neighborhood. Finally, Kerry woke up, comes out, signs an affidavit with the officer, which he wished he had never done. That's a story for another day. But we come back in, and after I settled down in about 30 minutes, I looked at Carrie, and I said, I can't believe I just said or did that. And he said, neither can I. And I tell this story for this reason. I don't know in, uh, the, if this person left because of my voice was so loud, but I do know that for six months, I kept the front, we replaced the front door, put dead bolts, closed our doors if that would make any difference. But every morning, I woke up terrified especially when I read reports of how people had killed home invaders, other people had been maimed or murdered, and I thought, thank you, Jesus. And I do know this, for whatever reason he left, I do know that because of that fervent, short prayer that God gave me the strength to do and say what I did, and the person left for some reason because of that. And it reminds us, as we look at our scripture verse this morning, that God answers fervent prayers. We've said, heard the saying that prayer changes people. 
things, but I think it's more appropriate to say that prayer changes people, and people and God together change things. And as we look at this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, we learn some important things about the kind of prayer that changes people. To put the letter in context, Paul wrote this letter from prison. Earlier, when he was preaching in Ephesus, the church was the message of the gospel was being preached in Colossae. About five years after Ephesus, Paul was imprisoned, and Epaphras, apparently the leader of the church, became real concerned about doctrinal heresies and uh, things happening in the church that weren't good. So he paid, played, paid a visit to Paul in prison to talk about this and to pray about this. And we noticed that Paul used some real good psychology with the folks. He tells them how proud he is that they love one another, and he prays for their spiritual growth. But our focus this morning is not about those doctrinal program, uh, problems that they were praying about, but the fact that they were earnestly praying for the church and the people of the church. So Paul and Epaphras' prayers, first of all, were fervent. And our prayers can be fervent. They can be short, like my Jesus help me. Or the most fervent prayer in the Bible, of course, was Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. In some translations, Colossians 4.12 say that Epaphras wrestled with God in prayer, and that indicates intensity, fervency in prayer. Just as Paul and Epaphras were praying in the midst of spiritual warfare, I believe we are to some degree in spiritual warfare in our nation as Christians in the Christian church, but certainly the nations around the world today, many are suffering greatly in the midst of spiritual warfare as they seek to stand for Christ. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person has great power and brings wonderful results. That's one of my favorite scriptures in James 5:16b. That prayer was in the context of the Old Testament prophet Elijah who prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years. They had a drought. Then he prayed again and they had rain. We don't always get those kind of results that we see right away as I did in my short prayer or as the prophet Elijah did with these wonderful results. But fervency in prayer, God honors, I believe. So let's be fervent in our prayer as we come up against the enemy of our souls as individual believers, as a community of faith, as the Christian church. Do we really believe that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world? Do we really believe that God can work in, through, or in spite of leaders of the world? If so, I believe we will be in fervent prayer for the leaders of our nation, the leaders of the world, but also for people right around us that don't yet know Jesus and also people in other nations of the world who have never heard that good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our Lord transforms lives in response to fervent prayer, always changing those of us who pray, of the prayer, often changing other people for whom we pray our circumstances. Second thing you will notice in this reading today from the scripture is that Paul and Epaphras were faithful in prayer. The various translations say they were always praying, never cease to pray, keep on praying. They didn't give up when they didn't see immediate results. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed some more. When we promise to pray for someone, do we really do that? I have discovered the best thing to do to keep that promise 
When someone asks me to pray for them, I immediately pray. You've kept the promise, and you're more likely to remember to pray for that person later. Do we pray as much as we talk about prayer? It's very easy to glibly say, you're in my love in prayers, when we don't do a thing about praying. So do we really pray as much as we talk about praying? Faithful prayer involves praying for God's will and God's timetable. God's never in a hurry, never late, but he wants us to never give up even when we don't see the results of our prayers right away. I recently read a wonderful quote from the Methodist preacher and prolific writer on prayer of the 19th and 20th centuries, E.M. Bounds. If you have not read his, there's a big volume that includes all of his books. I think Ben and I both have that in our library, but I had never read this quote until recently. Listen to this. Our prayers outlive the lives of those who utter them, outlive a generation, outlive an age, outlive a world. Hear that again. Our prayers outlive the lives of those who utter them, outlive a generation, outlive an age, outlive a world. It's always been an encouragement to me that the people for whom we pray in our lifetime will continue to reap the results of that, and we may not see the answer in our lifetime. But this reminded me that not only do our prayers while we're living work, but our prayers never die. They continue to live after we have gone on to heaven and we may not see the results in our lifetime, but our prayers are still there. About 20 years ago, I learned a very important lesson about faithful prayer. We had a situation in our family of two people I loved very much. And they said some very, very hurtful things in the situation after a funeral, which is funerals bring out the best and worst in families. And something was said and in response to their ugliness, I said some things. What I said was true, but it wasn't helpful, it wasn't edifying, it wasn't kind, it wasn't uplifting, and it surely was not said in love. But at the time, Linda felt so vindicated that I'd answered them so well. But as time went on, I realized that the things I had said had brought alienation within our family and a severing of relationship. So for almost 11 years, Carrie and I did everything we could to bring reconciliation in the family with those two people we loved to no avail. We prayed every day for 11 years, some days more than once, and we were prone to give up, but thanks be to God, we did not. A few weeks short of 11 years of praying every day, we had a breakthrough. These two people needed us to minister to them individually and together in different ways. And God gave the answer to that prayer. And we were especially grateful when both of those people passed away untimely in the years to come. And on top of that, God used us to help another family member, an alienated from one of those same people, to go and make things right before the person passed away. And it just had a wonderful circular uh, result of many, many people restored in relationship in our family. So God answers faithful prayer. Oftentimes we see the answer. Oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes God changes us always, but oftentimes he changes other people, 
changes the circumstances, but he wants us to be in prayer, to be faithful in prayer because we don't always see the big picture of God's timetable and how he is working things out together for good for us. Third thing in this passage today, Paul and Epaphras were focused prayers. Paul gave thanks for the people that love for one another, encouraged them about their spiritual growth, and Epaphras in that 412 prayed for them to mature and to stand firm in their faith. When life gets tough, it's often difficult to remain firm in our faith. Staying focused in prayer is necessary, I've discovered, if we want to be authentic disciples of Jesus Christ living out our faith in the everyday world where we all are. You note, on the night before Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he spent all night in prayer. I believe he prayed out loud, he prayed silently, but sometimes I believe Jesus just sat in the presence of the Father. And sometimes we need to focus on prayer. We may need to uh, thank God for who he is, thank him for his blessings, confess our sins, intercede for others, but sometimes after that or instead of that, we just need to practice sitting in the presence of God and becoming a little more like Jesus. It reminds me of a story I read about the late Baptist preacher Vernon McGee. He went to visit one of his parishioners one day, a woman and her four-year-old daughter. And he said, what have y'all been about today? She said, well, I'm teaching my four-year-old daughter to pray. And what we've been doing today is just sitting in the presence of Jesus, listening for his voice. I thought, what a wonderful message to teach your children. But for all of us to learn just to sit sometimes in the presence of Jesus and to hear his voice. Because I remind us that prayer is a conversation. It's not all about talking. Some of it's about speaking, silently praying, but some of it is just about listening. If we're in a conversation with God, as we are with others we love, sometimes we speak, sometimes we just listen. And it reminds me of a, an account by the late evangelist George Mueller, who discovered his prayer life was cold. And he thought, I just am not getting through. And if you're like me, you've been through a time when it seems like no matter how long you've been at prayer, your prayers are kind of bouncing off the ceiling and hitting you on the head, or at least very, very cold. And what he discovered was if he prayed the scripture, his prayer life warmed up, the scripture jumped off the page. And I think that works together for us at this time if we sometimes just pray the scripture, that's one of the reasons every week we pray the Lord's Prayer, the most complete prayer, I believe, in the scripture. But we can pray other, script, other scriptures as we pray when we don't know what to say. And sometimes we just really don't know how to pray at all. And Corey reminded us in his sermon on the Holy Spirit, there's two wonderful verses that we often overlook Romans 8, 26 and 27, just before that wonderful Romans 8, 28, we quote all the time about how God works together for good for those who love God. But it's a reminder in Romans 8, 26 and 27, when we just are weak and do not know how to pray, we call on the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will pray for us. And God, who knows the mind of the Holy Spirit, understands how the Holy Spirit is interceding for us in prayer. And that is a comforting thought. If you've been in some difficult situations in life, and sometimes I have, I have called on that Romans 8, 26 and 27, Holy Spirit, 
pray for me. Today, I don't have the words. I have no idea how to pray, but you do. It's a comforting thing that we can call on the Spirit to pray for us when we don't know how to do it. In closing, I'd like to remind us of many aspects of prayer ministry we have at Madison United Methodist Church. During the pandemic, we had to cancel, hopefully postpone, a wonderful prayer conference we had planned for April of 2020 with Dr. Terry Teckle, who is the premier prayer conference leader in the Wesleyan United Methodist um, movement. We had to cancel that, and we hope we can have that again. And many other parts of our prayer uh, ministry we had to curtail for a while, but we have continued many of them. And one of those we have, of course, is the prayer list in the messenger online or in print. And I remind you to be in prayer for all those people on that list every week. And then we have the prayer email team. And if you aren't on that and would like to join, you can see me or Jackie Wilson, who's our late minister, uh, prayer ministry chair. And the wonderful thing about that, you get those emails. People are getting them around the clock. Uh, and you have the information. If it's in, incorrect, we can um, correct it. But it also has the name, a little bit about the need for prayer and the address of the person. And you can write them a note after you pray if you'd like. And in our prayer room, we have note cards that you can anonymously just write and tell a person you prayed for them. In my office, I have prayer grams with scripture that you can write a more extensive uh, note to people. I've sent some of those to people that I've, I've been on the list that aren't even church members and have gotten response from people how wonderful it was to know that somebody had prayed for them. And one person, I think, even became a part of the church in response to that note that they got about being prayed for. And then one we would really like to activate, reactivate is our prayer room. We would like to have someone praying in the prayer room, which is around the corner here next to the elevator, Monday through Friday. In response to our fall stewardship campaign tomorrow afternoon, we have a young woman com coming to pray at 2 o'clock. On Friday morning, we have one of you couples coming to pray on Friday morning at 10 o'clock. We would like someone Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Of course, we need to know when you're coming so that Doug can prepare the room before the prayer room before and after. And then another wonderful prayer ministry we had that we want to activate is called the Two or More. It's where two or more gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And we did that for a while on Sunday mornings from 8 to 8.15. We had two people who signed up to pray in the prayer room. And we noticed, we on the uh, worship team really noticed a difference in the spirit of prayer when someone was praying over that and all the way through the day for student activities in the evening. And one of you who's present today mentioned to me, you know, when I prayed in that prayer room, service just seemed to come alive. And then he discovered part of the reason was not only that I prayed over the service, but that I had prayed before I entered in the presence of God at worship. And that's one thing I'd like to really commend our congregation about. You are so good during the prelude to prepare your hearts for worship as Rosemary plays. Some of you are praying and some of you are just in the presence of God, hushing your mind and thought to be ready to worship. And then we have added a new uh, prayer ministry. Last winter, we started the intercessory prayer group and we met in the prayer room, both men and women, on Tuesday mornings. And we had to curtail that in March. In late fall, we started intercessory prayer group again by Zoom. And I send out a message to people who want to be a part of that. And you're welcome to join. You can pray anywhere. We do that at 11.15 on Tuesday mornings. Sometimes we pray 15 minutes if it's VIP day. 
Other days, we pray 45 minutes to an hour most weeks from 11.15 to noon or 12.15. And we have just had a wonderful time of praying for all the needs on the prayer list for other prayer concerns that come to us. So I invite anyone who would like that. I can send you or Jackie could send you the Zoom information and you can join us on Tuesday morning for this prayer time. All of those are opportunities that God may be calling you to, may not at this time, but it is an opportunity for many of us to be in prayer. But in addition, I feel called to challenge each of us to spend 15 minutes a day in fervent, faithful, and especially focused prayer. Hopefully, we're in a spirit of prayer 24-7, and we have these short prayers, or as I call them, prayers in flight. But I believe God wants us to really focus in prayer. For some of us, 15 minutes may seem like an eternity to really stay focused. For others, you're just getting started. But I know almost all of us spend at least 15 minutes on texting, email, Twitter, Instagram, TV, whatever. And we could certainly spend 15 minutes a day in focused prayer. And I believe if we as individual disciples of Jesus will commit to do that, in addition to our Bible reading, that we will see revival in our church, in our nation, in our world. There are places where I'm reading accounts where people have gotten really serious about prayer, where revival is breaking out in places in our nation. In one place in Georgia, 200 students between the age of 13 and 20 have come to Christ through prayer in that church. And in another congregation through through uh, feeding the homeless and others, 6,000 people a week have made commitments to Jesus. When we're really serious about prayer, which we all can do wherever we are, I believe God will answer that and bring the revival that some of us have been praying for for a long time. So in this year, let's do that, 15 minutes a day, because I believe Jesus is counting on us to do it. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.